Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. And uh, for the uh, ton of you uh, that are joining us online, I, I just saw between two platforms, um, there's a little over 50 devices watching right now online. And so uh, we're glad you're joining us this morning. Um, and uh, we're glad you guys are here. And as you can see, you guys can't see online, but we uh, made some accommodations. So now there's enough space between the aisles. So if you would like to take a nap during service, you can just kind of lay out and you won't be interrupting anybody else. Um, the only problem is, is I'll be able to see you because there's not a lot of us here. Um, <laughs> man, a lot's changed in a week, hasn't it? Right? A lot's changed in a week. A lot's happened this last week. Um, I, I wanted to start this morning with a little quote uh, from A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer is a great theologian and thinker and writer, and uh, he said this, and, and this is something that I would suggest to us as a community, is he said, um, a scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church. With that, will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning. Because we know, we believe, we have confidence that you knew today would be today. You knew every detail about the world today that we could not have fathomed weeks ago. That you were not surprised or caught off guard or shocked. Lord, we believe the words of scripture that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to his purpose. Lord, we know that you know tomorrow, you know weeks to come, that our hope and our confidence is that you are God and that you are able. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Malachi 3 or you can go to mymcc.com. Info That might be a little tricky if you're watching on your cell phone online, but you can go there uh, to mymcc.info, and there's a spot for sermon notes. You can click on that, and you can follow along with our text today. But we're going to be in Malachi 3. We're finishing up a series today called This Is What We Do. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been, we've been asked this question. This is the question we ask at the end of every service, and um, I'm going to ask it again today, is this is what we do. Are you a part of we? This is what we do, right? And so week one, we, we talked about um, that we give first, that we give first, we're generous and open-handed, that it doesn't take faith to give last, but it takes faith to give first. And so as uh, people who believe and trust that God is able and that he's good and he's worthy of everything in our lives, we give first. Last week, we looked at the story of the, the five loaves and the two fish, and we asked the question, what, is God, what can God do with a little bit? When we all bring a little bit, what does God do? And, and later on in the service, we're going to have a little bit of an update about um, what happened uh, to a challenge that we, we gave last week with that. So this week, we're going to look at a totally different direction, but the same kind of primary passage we've been looking at in Malachi 3, we're going to look at it from a really different perspective. And so I want to ask this question first, okay? Now, be honest, be honest, okay? You're in church, don't lie. If you're watching online, you're in church, it counts, okay? So don't lie. Jesus can see you, okay? So 
Be honest, okay? How many of you, for at least seven seconds in your life, have ever felt, don't raise your hand yet, I'm going to tell you the whole thing, have you ever felt distant or apathetic or cold in your relationship to God? Even just for seven seconds, everybody raise your hand, right? Right? Okay, you can't see online, you're probably sitting in a room with everybody raise their hand, I'm sitting in a room with every single person raising their hand, okay? Every single one of us at some point in our life has felt distant and cold and apathetic, and we've asked this question, right? We've asked this question. If we're honest, we've asked this question. God, like, where are you? Like, I, I go to church, I read my Bible. Well, at least I tried reading through the Bible, then I got to Leviticus, and they were killing all these things, and I was confused, and I quit reading. But I try to read my Bible. I try and show up to church. I try to be a nice person. I try to do all these things, and yet I feel distant and cold. And I think the hardest thing for all of us is that at some point in our walk with Jesus, I think about every single one of us in this room or watched online, about every single one of us would say that there was a point in our life where we felt closer to God. There was a point in our life where we were like passionate and excited. And, and maybe, maybe it was after a specific event or season in life. Maybe it was after um, a conference or a camp or, or just some season that God was working on you and working through. Maybe it was after you went through Rooted and you were like ready to sell everything that you own and follow God wherever he was going to lead you, right? And then, sadly, we've bought into this lie We've, we've believed this lie that maturing in our faith looks like, well, this, this, is the way, this is the way we say it, that we mature in our faith, so, so we've, we've, we, we have to steward things well. And really what it is, and it's, it's an excuse to settle into our comfort and safety and security and our relationship with God, a relationship where we were willing to give everything to follow him wherever he would call us, it is not disconnected that we begin to settle into a safe, comfortable, can I call it suburban lifestyle, and our relationship with Jesus, relationship with God grows cold. The thing is, is that Jesus never once, never in a moment, never even began to hint or indicate that he was calling you to something that was safe or secure or comfortable or the American dream. In fact, over and over again, you remember, like, disciples come to Jesus, right? Uh, not disciples. People who want to follow Jesus, they come to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, we want to follow you. And what's he say to him? He says, well, I don't, I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a bed, like, I don't have anywhere to sleep. I don't have a home. Like, the call to follow Jesus has always, here, maybe this is, some, this is the only thing you need to hear today. The call to follow Jesus has always been a dangerous one. The call to follow Jesus in all of human history, all since Jesus walked this earth, and as he walked amongst the disciples, to follow Jesus was an invitation to trust into the unknown. A dangerous call. And when we set ourselves out, when we trust him with all that we are and we're willing to follow him wherever he leads us, it creates a fire in us. But many of us have settled. Many of us have settled. There's a story in the Old Testament. There's a book. It's called Malachi, right? You guys maybe turn there. Malachi, or as one of my uh, professors in college said, uh, Malachi, the first Italian prophet. And so in, in Malachi... 
It's actually, if you've never read the book of Malachi, it's this conversation between God's people and God himself, okay? And God's people make these complaints, and God says, well, here's the issue. And then God says, here's my thing against you. And the people make excuses, sound familiar, right? And then they make complaints, and they, and they say things like, like, God, like, look, look at the world, Look at all the chaos, look at the brokenness, look at the disease, look at the death. Where are you? If you are sovereign and you are good, where are you in this world? And God answers. And then he speaks to them and they, they say things like, like God, God, if you're good and you're sovereign and you bless those who bless you and, and, and you honor those who give their lives to you, why, why do the wicked advance and why do the wicked su su succeed as much or more than those who are followers of you, who are children of you, right? It's this conversation back and forth. And they come to this one point where, God, where there are people who felt distant and alone and they're saying stuff to God like, like God, we come to the temple we show up to the temple, which was like their church. We show up to church. We go through the rhythms, and yet everything feels distant and cold. You feel so far away from my reality. And, G and God says this. God says this in Malachi 3, verse 7. He says that to their complaint of a feeling of apathy or distance from God, he says these words. He says this, return to me, and I will return to you. Now, that doesn't seem very helpful in the moment, does it, right? Maybe this morning you sit in here, or you're watching online, and you feel cold and distant in your relationship with God, and if you're like, oh, God, like, you feel so far away, and the answer is, well, you should return to me. You're like, what? What do you want? Right? Like, I'm in church. I'm watching church online. Maybe in my pajamas, okay? None of us are ever going to know if you're in your pajamas, but maybe in your pajamas, like, you're, you're trying. I'm here, God. What do you want? That's exactly what the Hebrew people say back to him. It says this at the end of the verse. It says this. But you say, being the Hebrew people or being us ourselves, how shall we return? Man, God, like I feel so far away from you. I feel so consumed with fear and worry and questions and doubts, and you feel so far away, and my prayers feel so empty, and my worship feels so shallow. Where are you? How can I return to you? Now, before we look at Jesus, before we look at God's response, before we look at God's response, I, I want you to look and to see something else that's said somewhere else in Scripture to understand what we're about to hear because it's about to get real uncomfortable if we're going to be honest with each other, okay? Maybe you know the rest of Malachi 3, but it's about to get real uncomfortable, okay? So in Hebrews 4, it says this, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, most of us couldn't even define the difference between soul and spirit. And yet it says the word of God pierces as far as division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. If this morning, if this morning you feel distant and cold and apathetic and kind of dried out in your relationship with God, 
If your eyes are quickly distracted by the things of this world and your heart and your affection, you find yourself so quickly wandering away from God and you might be having the same kind of conversation that the Hebrew people are having in the book of Malachi. God, where are you? I'm here. I'm doing everything. God says, do you return to me? Right? Jesus actually says, he says, knock and the door will be opened. Right? Knock. Like, just come and knock. And you're like, how do I knock? I've been trying. Right? This is God's word to the Hebrew people, and I think it's to us in the 21st century America. He says this. He says, the problem, the problem with your apathy are your idols. The problem with your apathy is that there are things that you love in this world more than you love me. And so God gives them a gift. That's what we've been talking about for the last couple weeks. God gives them a gift, a gift we call generosity. Because you see, our hands, our hearts are so quickly consumed with the things of this world. Now, it may not be stuff. Maybe, maybe you want Camaros and big houses and vacations on the beach, but it may not be stuff. It may be people. It may be prestige. It may be recognition. It may be your bank account. It may be comfort. But our hearts are so easily distracted. And if this morning, if this morning you find yourself apathetic and cold and in a distant feeling from God that you pray and God never seems to answer or hear or anything and everything seems so shallow in your relationship with God, I would believe, I think the scripture teaches that, that the words of what God wants to say to you is that there is an idol in your heart that is in the way of your relationship with me. And so he gives the Hebrew people a gift the same gift he gives us, the gift of generosity. You see it in Malachi 3, he goes on in verse 10, it says this, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the window of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Now see the second half of that verse. A lot of us pass over it because sometimes we just don't take scripture as seriously as we should. But it says there that if you test God, that if you come and you lead out in generosity, like we talked about from week one, if you give first, right? It takes faith to give first. It takes faith to give first because you have to trust God with the rest of the 90%. It takes faith to bring everything that you have to God like the disciples did with the with the five loaves and the two fish. It takes faith to trust God, as the widow did, it says, when she brought two mites. It takes faith to trust that if you do those things, if you, if, you, if you say, God, you are worthy of everything in my life, everything in my life, right? If you do that, this is God's promise to you. And he says this. He says that he will open the windows of heaven. Now take a moment and just think. Because, see, I think a lot of times when we read that verse, we do one of two things. One is we ignore it because we, we don't really know what to do with it. And we go, oh, sure, if we test him, it'll be, I don't know, a good thing, right? Or we do a really bad thing and we think, oh, that means that if we trust God, if we give, he'll give me the Camaro, he'll give me the big house, he'll give me the vacations on the beach, right? But it doesn't actually mean either of those things. You see, if you look at it, it says this, that he will, um, will not open for you the windows of heaven. So we have to ask this question, what is heaven? Right? Biblically, if we let the Bible define what is heaven, 
Heaven, we, we've been talking about through the book of Matthew, um, that it's all about Jesus and talking about the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom, or Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven, right, which is synonymous with the kingdom of God. Heaven, biblically, heaven is the place of God's presence, that's the place of God's dwelling. It's the reason that the kingdom of God can come into existence, that the kingdom of heaven can come into existence in 21st century um, Oregon. The kingdom of heaven can come here because the kingdom of heaven, heaven is the place of God's presence. Now your translation, you may have a different translation. It may say this. It may say something like this. It will say, um, see if I will not open for you the floodgates of heaven. And the word technically is windows, which is why the translation I use says windows. Um, but they use the word floodgates because you know the only, one of the only other times, the first time it's used in Scripture, and one of the only three times that this phrase is used in all of Scripture, um, is actually in Noah's flood, in the flood of Noah. Right? Malachi, through God, through Malachi, is trying to paint a picture for us. That if we are obedient and trust God with everything, that if we live a life where we say, God, you are worthy of everything that I have, not just in word, not just in showing up on Sunday, not just singing some songs, but you are literally worthy of everything that I have, that God says, this is what I'll do. I will open floodgates of my presence like has not been seen since the water covered the earth. That in the same way, water consumed everything. There was no crack or crevice of the earth, the Bible tells us, that was not covered in water, consumed, drowned. This is the promise of God. That if you burn to the ground the idols of your heart, that he will so flood you with his presence that, that he will consume you like a raging flood. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want, like... Isn't there in all of us something that desperately yearning for some sort of life and vitality in our relationship with God that we feel has long since lost? It might seem weird or odd that God would come after their money, that he would come after generosity, but it really shouldn't be that shocking when you look at the whole scripture because it's, it's kind of the conversation God's always about. Because he always knows that we're consumed with idolatry. Whether it is our money, or it is status, or it's our comfort, or it's our security, or it's our illusion of control. I saw a quote this week from a Christian rapper guy named Lecrae, and he said, um, it was really great, he said, uh, we have not lost control this week. We have lost the illusion that we ever had control. Right? And whether it's our idolatry of control, of security, of safety, of, of dreams we have, of retirement and sitting on a beach, that God's desire for us is to burn those idols to the ground because they stand between us and him, that he might flood us with his presence. It shouldn't be surprising. I mean, it's what it says all throughout Scripture. Um, in uh, Matthew 6, we, we talked about this a couple months ago in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, um, if you feel distant from God, God says this, this way he tells us, he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where your life, where your passion, where your devotion, where your goals, where the investment of who you are as a person, your heart will be also. And so if you feel distant from God, I'd ask the question, I think Jesus asked the same question, where's your treasure? Not just your money, but your life, who you are, your passions, your giftings. 
because if they are poured out into the kingdom of God to pursue for his glory, all things, if you live your life in a way you say, God, I will sell, I will get rid of, I will do, I will go wherever you lead me. He will flood us with his presence. It's not safe. It's not easy. It's hard. It's terrifying. And sometimes it's confusing. There's a really great book Mark Batterson wrote. It's called Chasing the Wild Goose. And um, it's kind of built on this premise. It's a book about the Holy Spirit and what God does in our lives and our hearts. And it's built on, um, I think it's a Celtic tradition, um, where the actual name of the Holy Spirit in one of the languages of the people was the wild goose. And the reason they called it the wild goose was because they would talk about how the Spirit of God, nobody can contain it, nobody can predict it, it just comes and goes. Sometimes it's going this way and then it pivots and that the pursuit, that our relationship with God is a constant pursuit of following the Spirit, just going where, and when he calls us to go this, but it requires us to live our lives in a way where we live open-handed, free of the idols of our hearts to pursue him and to declare that you are worthy of everything always. Psalm 37, verse 4, it says this, right? This is just all through Scripture. God is trying to destroy the idols in our heart because, see, you may feel empty and unsatisfied and tired or burned out and yet incredibly busy with work and hobbies and yet completely unfulfilled. Psalm 37, verse 4, it says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Again, Despite what you may have heard from a televangelist, this isn't saying that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you a Camaro or a big house or vacations on the beach. Because if you delight yourself in the Lord, the desires of your heart are the Lord. It's a promise from God that if you pursue him with everything that you are, he will not, it will not come back to you empty. That if you pursue God, that if you give him all that you are in devotion to him, that he will respond, that he will fill your heart, that he will fill the desires, that he will be there, that he will bring life and redemption and restoration and hope and newness to you. That if your greatest delight I was reading one commentary about this passage, and uh, it said the word delight is actually a feminine word, a, a feminine kind of feeling word, and it's just this kind of like giddy, like, like, kind of word. Do you need that again? These are things that are going to be on the internet for the rest of my life, right? <laughs> but it's just that kind of like, right? That if you delight yourself, man, God, is, God wants to draw near to you. But there are idols. There are idols in our hearts. There are idols in our affections. Acts 20, verse 35, it says this, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must keep, we must help the weak. Remember the words the Lord Jesus himself said, right? So this is Jesus, even though it's in the book of Acts, Jesus said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because when we give, when we trust, when we live open-handed, it's burning down, it's destroying the idols of our hearts for our own comfort, for our own attention, for our own pleasure. It's burning down the idols of our heart. And what we receive is far greater than what we've given away. Because according to the promise of the scriptures over and over and over again, what we receive is God himself. 
last week. Last week, we asked uh, the question, what could God do with a little bit, right? If we, if we all just brought what we had before God, and we just gave a little bit, what could God do with a little bit? And so last week, we, we gave this challenge out, and I said, um, if you're here on Sunday to give $1, $1 more for each person in your family than you planned on giving, right? To give $1 more than you planned on giving, and we'll see. We'll see what God's going to do with that. And I'll tell you honestly, last Sunday, I had no plans of any knowledge of anything that God was going to do with that money, okay? So this week, this week, um, I'll tell you um, one that's just shocking and crazy and ridiculous, but it's, um, in my opinion, not quite as emotionally powerful as the other. Um, with $200, so we, we had $424 to spend, Okay? $424 to spend. So with $200 through a, a ministry partner we work with, um, over the coming weeks, we are going to, just breathe this in for a second, with $200, partner with some of the organizations, that $200, not, like sometimes if you work in nonprofits, they talk about leveraging funds and all that kind of, this is the leveraging fund. With $200, you are going to pay off $20,000 in someone's medical debt. With $200. Here's the one that I was super stoked about. On Wednesday, I'm at a meeting. And someone says in the meeting, they said, hey, um, we're working with this lady, and uh, she's, a, she's a domestic violence victim. And she just came here about a couple weeks ago, and she came here with just whatever she could fit in her car. And she fled, and all she has is her car. She's hundreds of miles away from anybody. Um, she's got a job, but she, she just has a car. And uh, this last weekend, the alternator and the battery went out on it. And she can't, she's having a hard time figuring out work. She's got two kids. And um, her abuser, it was bad enough, it got bad enough, it got horrible enough, that her abuser is actually in jail awaiting trial. And they said one of the hiccups is not only is she having a hard time getting to work, but um, in a couple weeks, she uh, needs to drive the several hundred miles back so that she can testify in court about what her abuser did to make sure that her abuser stands, um, takes the justice that is deserved of him. And she doesn't have the money to fix the alternator and the battery. And, and I'm sitting in this group of people and they go, so we're just really struggling to come up with the money. Does anybody know anybody that'd be willing to pay to fix the battery and the alternator? And I went, I do! I do! We will. We will. We will. And because of one dollar, one dollar, one God knew, weeks, months, for eternity, in fact, but God knew that this week would come and there would be this, this single mom who's fleeing from violence, who's been told her whole life that she's not worthy of being loved, that she doesn't deserve it, that she doesn't deserve um, to, to be cared for, to, be, to receive true affection, that she's unwanted and rejected and not worthy of anything. And because of one dollar, we had the opportunity to say, you are seen and you are loved, and there are people who are fighting for you and praying for you. Because of one dollar. You see, God's after your heart, not because he needs your money. 
God doesn't, God doesn't need $242. Do you think God's that with $224? Do you think God's that broke? Right? God isn't the one, <laughs> God isn't the one at Wearmark buying all the toilet paper. Okay? God's not up in heaven having a little committee going, ah, what's gonna happen? Right? God knew. But God wants to invite you to be a part of opening the floodgates of the kingdom of heaven. God wants to invite you to be a part of redemption and restoration in ways you've never seen or fathomed. God wants to invite you to bring hope and restoration and reconciliation and healing and newness and life and peace and joy to this broken world. He wants to use you. But to do that, to do that, you have to lay down the idols that consume your hands and your heart. You have to lay them at the foot of the cross so that he can crush them. And for many of us, many of us, the first gift we need to take on is the gift of being willing to be generous first. Willing to live open-handed, willing to say, God, not 10%, not 12%, not 2%, not 70 bucks a week, not $7 a week, but everything that I have is yours. You do with it as you want. I trust and believe that you are able, and in that, God will use you in mighty and powerful ways to bring reconciliation and restoration and hope to a broken and dying world. You see, this is what God's always wanted. He's always been after your heart. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? You remember the story? He comes, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to go to heaven? Right, that's kind of what he's asking. And um, uh, he says, you need to follow all the rules, right? And the guy says, oh, I've followed all the rules, which means that he's a liar, which means he hasn't followed all the rules. But that's a different conversation. And so he said, I've followed all the rules. And, and Jesus says this to him. He says, he says, you need to sell all your possessions and come follow me as a gift because he's after his heart. Do you notice, you know what Jesus doesn't say? He doesn't say, um, hey, I need you to sell all your possessions. Um, I need you to sell all your possessions and bring the proceeds because I got some expenses in my ministry. I need you to sell all stuff, bring it here, you can bring it here, because we got, we got to be able to feed ourselves, right? This is the God who fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. He has no need of the rich man's money. But the rich man has desperate need to let go of the idols in his heart. God has no need of your money. But you have desperate need of his presence in your life. And so he offers you this gift. Will you live open-handed? Will you give first? Will you be generous beyond what is expected, what is called, what is demanded? Will you lay before him the idols of your heart and allow them to be burned to the ground? This is what we do. We want to be a people who are consumed by the presence of God who will redeem and restore and experience life in ways that, that others cannot fathom because of his grace and his mercy and his presence in our life. We want to be so intimately near to him that we, that we can walk with him daily and grow and hear his voice and hear his moving in our souls. But it requires, it requires that we lay all things at his feet. This is what we do.
we recklessly pursue the crushing of idols. As your pastor, I recklessly pursue that we might crush idols in your soul so that you might receive him. This is what we do. Are you a part of we?